Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, your weekly dose of political news and analysis from the north of England. I'm Rob Parsons, a journalist based in Leeds who covers the ups and downs of politics in our region and I write about them in a daily email newsletter called the Northern Agenda. But on this podcast, we take a longer look at some of the biggest issues in the north and the political figures who are making the news. Just such a person is our main guest today, Kim McGuinness, who is the hot favourite to become the first ever elected Metro Mayor for the North East, a region of two million people. I asked her about her background in politics, her eye-catching ambition to end child poverty in the region, and what she makes of her main rival being barred from the Labour shortlist. But I'm recording this intro in Sheffield today. I've hopped on a cross-country train into South Yorkshire for a major conference, the Northern Powerhouse Education, Employment and Skills Summit, where the North's leaders have come together to ask the crucial question how we unlock the potential of the millions of young people in our region. We all know that young people in the North on average don't achieve the same educational outcomes as those in the South East and go on to earn less generally than those elsewhere. In fact, there's a report out just this week by the Sutton Trust that says highly able disadvantaged pupils in the North West and North East achieve on average a whole grade lower per GCSE subject than the most affluent highly able children in other parts of the country. We've heard lots of different perspectives on what to do about that, but the highest profile speaker for sure was Gillian Keegan, the Conservative Education Secretary, brought up in Nosley on Merseyside before starting her business career as part of the General Motors Group. She described the huge numbers of talented young people who have in the past been left behind by the education system in areas like hers. But she said, everywhere you look, the North is full of potential and we're doing all we can to support those businesses in growing the economy. Her speech, it has to be said, didn't go down well with everyone. She had quite a fiery exchange in the Q&A section with a man also from Nosley who bemoaned the policies of the Conservative government and told her the sooner you get out, the better. Obviously, she didn't agree. She put her case quite forcefully and it was an interesting exchange. But I was able to grab the Education Secretary briefly after her speech and was able to ask her about a new education policy that's been put forward by perhaps the North's most high-profile Labour politician. Have a listen to what she said here. Um, I don't think so. I think we've got to have some national sort of standards and national qualifications that are equally kind of understood. Um, I think, that, you know, the, the sort of EBAC idea or MBAC EBAC, kind of the same but just with different subjects in, um, the, these ideas basically come from what should be a core education that you get in, you know, up to your, up to your GCSEs. And it's, it's gone back and forth. I remember when I was at school all those years ago, you had to do English, you had to do maths, um, you had to do a science, at least one, two sciences, you had to do a language, you had to do a humanity. That is basically EBAC. It's basically just going back to that. So making sure that people don't do, um, you know, that, that they keep some of the core subjects as well. And then, of course, you can do other subjects on top. I did technical drawing, engineering, et cetera, et cetera. It's going back to that system so that you make sure that you keep, at least up to that age, you keep the, you know, the, the sort of... Um, the core. Now, there are other options uh, available as well. Obviously, there's in some places there's uh, universal UTCs, universal te- te- 
technical technical colleges um, and you know those are options in some places uh, he could work on some of those if he thought there was a need for that um, there's also UTC sleeves now which is another thing but so we're, we're trying to do the same thing we're trying to do it with making sure you keep that core until 16 and then and obviously have options as well and then you um, you go on and you have T levels as well as lots of other uh, vocational options as well if you want to go down that route and I think that's 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 our answer to what Andy's trying to to, to achieve. schools across the country have the same sort of standards and the same sort of core. We don't want to be having you know the schools in Manchester having one thing, the schools in Liverpool having another. What we're trying to do is make sure every school's good or outstanding. Every child has a broad range of, uh, of of things that they study up to the age of sixteen, and then it can narrow, and then it can it can you know be more vocational or technical in its nature. We've designed that system because the evidence when you look at we've we, we've got the Education Endowment Foundation. They do a lot of really detailed studies on what is the best approach to uh, and at what point you narrow, what point you have a broader curriculum and what you know what's the key key core pillars of education and knowledge so they we do about a quarter of all of the world's educational research it's really brilliant what we do here and we set that up at about 2012 and you know that that's where we base our evidence on Now, most listeners to this podcast will know about the likes of Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, Ben Houchin on Teesside and Tracy Brabin in West Yorkshire, elected Metro mayors with powers over transport, regeneration and skills, who are becoming the faces of their different northern regions and attempting to put themselves at the sharp end of the levelling up agenda. Next summer, we can add to their ranks a Metro mayor for the northeast of England, an area which stretches from the location of Dominic Cummings' famous eye test in Barnard Castle, County Durham, right up to the Scottish border. The best part of two million people live in the area, covered by the northeast devolution deal, finally agreed this year after years of wrangling between local leaders. And it's a diverse region with huge potential, thanks to its industrial heritage and natural assets, also huge challenges. Strikingly, it's the only part of the country where child poverty is actually getting worse rather than better. So who is going to be the first elected mayor of that region? Most observers think the strong favourite is Kim McGuinness, currently the Northumbria Police and Crime Commissioner and one of two politicians trying to be Labour's candidate in next year's election. In recent weeks, there's been a lot of coverage of the fact that her main rival, Jamie Driscoll, or someone who might have been her main rival, the mayor for the smaller north of Tyne area has been kept off the Labour shortlist by party bosses but I really wanted to find out more about Kim and her vision for the North East if she does get the backing of voters. So Kim McGuinness welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast. Thanks Rob, thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. So just as a starting point I said in my intro you're considered the favourite to be the next mayor. I mean would you would you agree with that assertion that you you're, you're the favourite? Well I mean I hope so. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I really do hope so. I think I've got a really strong and positive vision for the region. And it is the region that I love. I'm from here. I really care about it. And that's my main motivation. And I think we can see very clearly in the polls at the moment, Labour are doing very well, uh, which is great news for people like me who um, who want us to be in power making decisions. Uh, and so I, I hope that is the case. But you never rest on your laurels. And for me, it's all about it's all about 
about hard work, about listening to residents and about making sure that the vision that I present resonates with them. Just to give people uh, an idea of what you're all about, if they're you know, not so familiar with politics in, in the North East, you've been an elected politician for less than a decade. You became a councillor in 2015. And before that, you worked in sectors like finance, charities and universities. I mean, how would you describe your political sort of philosophy, your sort of political viewpoint? What, what got you into politics in, in the first place? Well, I suppose my political philosophy is is just that I am straightforward, out and out Labour. Uh, I believe that we should be um, seeking social justice. I believe that we should be making things better for people in our region. I believe that it's all about you know representing the people that live here. And ultimately, as I said at the beginning, that is my main motivation. I was never a person who set out ever to be a politician. You know, I didn't sit at university thinking about entering into my first election it it was something that actually probably took me by surprise more than anybody else and I'd been doing doing all right I'd worked as he said in various different sectors and uh, when I was first elected I was uh, working in students unions quite senior jobs in in charities really supporting uh, students and young people with a real interest in um, things like their mental health and equality making sure that young people from a diverse set of backgrounds got a good education uh, and then I'd moved back. I'd moved back to the northeast not long before, and kind of got involved because at the time I thought that the coalition government was was terrible, <laughs> and I wanted to get a Labour government um, in 2015. This is about 2013, and essentially I was I was asked to stand. Somebody said to me, "Look, you you should stand for the council," and I said, "Oh, I don't know. I couldn't really do that. I don't think that I'm ready to do that. I don't think I've got the experience." And as quite a lot of these stories go, eventually they said to me, look, we really need women like you to stand for the council. Um, and that's kind of what led me to my, to my first election. And I just love representing people. You were a councillor for four years. And then since 2019, you've been police and crime commissioner, uh, which means you oversee Northumbria police. You help set the budgets and its strategic priorities. You hold the chief constable to account. It seemed to me, uh, as a journalist, sort of observing politics in the north, that uh, in in recent times you've been quite keen to talk not just about crime and policing, but other issues as well. So things like the cost of living crisis, poverty, transport, culture, and the arts. So has it been on your radar for a while that you wanted to take on a bigger? broader job than just crime and policing or is it is it just this is an opportunity that's presented itself and you've only thought that you wanted to do it quite quite recently no I think I have to be honest and say it is something that I've been thinking about but that's not why I've been talking about those things I think it's really clear to me that it's all connected and I want this place that that I love and that I live in and that I'm a resident in to be as safe as possible. I want the people that I represent to to feel safe. And this is a really safe region, actually. But we, as you mentioned in your introduction, we do have really persistent high levels of child poverty. One of the things that parents talk to me quite a lot about is the fact that they worry about how that makes young people vulnerable to uh, to getting involved in crime or to becoming victims of crime. We know that there's a real link between deprivation and crime. And my police and crime plan is called Fighting Poverty, Fighting Crime for that very reason. And I really think that if we look at what the real true causes of crime are, we tackle those inequalities, we support people improve their lives, 
we will ultimately reduce crime. And I think that that's really proven. So yes, I'll be honest and say it, it, it's been on my mind for some time as the, as the devolution journey has happened in the region, that it might be something that I'd like to do. You know, as I said, I, I really love this place and I love representing it. But my driver as a police and crime commissioner has really been prevention, prevention, prevention. And ultimately, that's what all that's about. So am I right in thinking that if you were to become mayor, because of the way that the boundaries work in, in, in the North East, there would still be a police and crime commissioner for Northumbria, there would still be one for Durham. So you, you wouldn't be, as some places have, amalgamating the police and crime commissioner's office into your own mayoralty if you were to become uh, elected or is, is, is it more complicated than more complicated than that no you're absolutely right so with the the new the new elected mayor will over will will cover seven local authorities including durham and in that area there's two police and crime commissioners so northumbria which is the six local authorities north of durham um and up to the borders and then there's durham um police and crime commissioner which has by a kind of quirk of boundaries, also Darlington, which is in the Tees Valley morality. So it's kind of the patchwork of the way that um, these patches are divided up. And and we will have still two police and crime commissioners in our region uh, and then a mayor. So, I mean, how how do you feel if you were to move from overseeing the police to overseeing the region as a whole? How do you feel you've left sort of crime and policing in Northumberland, because I know it is um, it is a, a well-performing force, like certainly better performing than the likes of Cleveland or places like that. But um, I know that you know there are areas in which crime is on the on the increase in your part of the world. Do you feel like the force is doing well or has been doing well under your under your supervision? Yeah, I feel like it's. I feel like the force has been is is. I feel like the force is much improved and you can see that in our in our HMIC, which is sort of like the Ofsted for police forces. Everybody knows about Ofsted, less people know about HMIC, but we've gone from requires improvement to good in the time that, that I've been elected, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, we've seen real improvements in things like response rates, answering the telephone. We've seen a real shift change in that, in the way that the force positions itself around prevention um, and not just being reactive all the time. And I think that's really positive. But you and I have talked about this before. It would be remiss of me not to talk about how difficult things are in policing. You know, we have, we have had very, very significant budget cuts yet again. Austerity has not ended in public services whatsoever. And that really shows in policing. And when the government have talked about their 20,000 new police officers, which we all know are actually replacement police officers, in this region, we're still 500 short of where we were in 2010. So there is still an awful lot to do, but I'm very proud of where we've got to. And I think the real key thing for me is that prevention role doesn't start and end with the oversight of policing. You know, I take that very seriously. I have, I really enjoy doing the job that I'm in now. It starts and ends with looking at the whole big picture and despite the fact that a mayor won't oversee that, I think it'll be really important that a mayor works together with police and crime commissioners, Labour, I hope, um, in order to make sure that we're tackling all of the different things that cause crime and that safety is still a really big part of the agenda. Now, we mentioned child poverty already and one eye-catching, at least 
to me pledge that you've made a sort of key part of your manifesto is that you want to end child poverty in the northeast which is an ambitious ambitious target i would say and it's obviously an aim everyone would endorse when the region has the highest rates in the country but you've also said i think that the devolution deal for the northeast doesn't go far enough isn't radical enough to change the lives of people in the region so is it is it actually the case that if you become mayor you yourself won't have the powers to achieve this aim of ending poverty because actually it's something that is really in the gift of central government to solve and you, you don't have the levers to pull really as as a metro mayor to to make much difference look i think that we've got no choice but for that to be our aim as a region where we've got to now with levels of child poverty that are up, are up and around 40 percent it is absolutely abominable it is a disgrace And it's something that we've got to take responsibility for. And you don't set out and think about, you know, presenting a manifesto to the public and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to halve that and I'm still going to leave 20 percent of kids in child poverty. We've got to have the fundamental aim of of, of ending it. And I don't think that the two things are mutually exclusive. I'm happy to talk about sort of my views on wider wider devolution. But some of that will be delivered with hard and fast initiatives We've got to improve, for example, the public transport system. We've got to bring it back into public control, make it easier for people to get around the region, make it easier for them to take up employment and education and skills. We've got to have a skills offer, which we've got to have a Sorry, my cat's trying to get in on the conversation. We've got to have a skills offer um, that that really uh, reflects what we need to deliver in the region in terms of delivering on house building targets, in terms of uh, delivering on our green energy goals, in terms of building up our foundational economy. We really need to be looking at things like subsidising childcare for the people that need it the most, giving people real opportunities. And with the powers that are there, we can do an awful lot of that, along with the council leaders and the levers that they can pull as well. And then on top of that, our ability to convene across our region with businesses, with the charitable sector, I think everybody wants to do this. So that can be our aim. And together, using a combination of the hard powers that we've got and the ability to come together around a, a goal, I think we can I think we can really make big inroads into that. But at the same time, I'm pretty clear that this is conservative-led devolution, like the likes of which we've seen elsewhere. There's a lot of biddable cash where you where you where you have to um compete against other regions. I want to see an end to that. And I would like to see you know, more powers devolved to our communities so that they can have a say in making decisions. And I'm talking about really practical things like the Homes England funding. I'm talking about really practical things like extending skills into post 16. I'm talking about things like job centre, you know, really practical things where we can start to really improve lives. But devolving them wholesale so that we can make the decisions in the region and we take we take away that kind of constant back and forth to Westminster and recognize that different parts of the country need to be allowed to do things in different ways and our problems that we've got to solve will be really different to those of Manchester and Leeds and London and West Midlands and other areas. So Labour members in the North East are uh, going to start making their views known on who their candidate should be uh, very soon. The other person they can choose from is Paul Brannan, a former MEP for the North East. But I think uh, the big news story uh, in terms of the selection has been the fact that Jamie Driscoll, the socialist mayor who's already doing a 
a very similar job. He is a metro mayor, but in the smaller north of Tyne re- uh, region. He's been kept off the Labour shortlist, apparently because of an appearance he made on stage with Ken Loach, the film director, who was expelled from Labour in 2021. Now, we don't know at this stage whether Jamie Driscoll will stand to be mayor, perhaps as an independent or for another party. But obviously, it's done your chances of getting chosen and elected no no harm at all. But do, do you think the selection process has been tainted in any way by keeping someone who is already an elected mayor with a mandate off the Labour shortlist? My only role in this is as a candidate. And all of that, all of those decisions are for the party to make. And I, I have got what I believe to be a really compelling vision. It's a positive vision for the region. And my job now is to put that to members and then with the ultimate aim of putting it to the public and getting a Labour mayor in this region, because I think that that's the right thing to do. And and that's my role in this. I mean, it does seem to be part of a, it seems, at least to me, it seems to be part of a wider trend where Labour headquarters in London is keeping seemingly popular local politicians off the shortlist to be general election candidates, say, in places like Wakefield or Cumbria, often because they're seen as being in the wrong faction of the party or apparently affiliated to Jeremy Corbyn. Now, you're you're seen as being a, quite close to Keir Starmer. I mean, what do you say to those who suggest that his office, the leader's office, is keeping too tight a grip on the process for selecting candidates and not allowing local members to have their say, as seems to be the case uh, in, in the North East? Well, local members will will have their say. And for somebody like me, I, I have only got one role in this, as I said, which is as a candidate. And I'm happy to stand against, I was, I was happy to stand against whoever put themselves forward. And I've got a, a compelling vision to present. But my concern is the North East. It's about getting the right outcomes for the North East, making sure that we get a Labour mayor. And then actually also making sure that we get a Labour government because all of that stuff that I've said about devolution and what we really want, Labour are talking about that. We're talking about having more devolved power into our regions. And so it's going to be really important for us to get Keir Starmer into number 10, to get a Labour front bench that we can work with to to get more power into our regions so that we can make our own decision and we can ultimately solve those problems fight child poverty and make this place known as being the home of real opportunity. Do you think you would have beaten Jamie Driscoll if he'd have, if he if he was on the on the shortlist? I'm very clear that I was putting myself forward as a candidate regardless of who was on the shortlist and it was always my plan to win. Okay, I'll stop asking about Jamie Driscoll now and I'll go back to your manifesto. I know why you want to ask but but my role is honestly is just as a candidate and I I've got a I've really I believe got the the right vision for our region. I understand. Now, one of the interesting facets of that that vision and an interesting line I, I saw in your manifesto is that the North East cannot continue in second place or worse to Manchester, Leeds or London, which is an interesting, uh, interesting way of putting it, I guess. I mean, why do you think these other northern areas are seemingly ahead of the North East and how do you go about catching up with them? Well, they've had devolution for longer. They've had a lot of these powers in play that the place that we're looking to bring to our region, including things like control over transport. But it's also about that really, really strong voice. And as as I've said over and over again, I sound a bit like a broken record. You know, the reason that I do this, I, I just think this is the best place in the world. 
you know, and, and it's almost, it's almost something that we laugh at in our house. You know, my, my husband says we go on holiday and you spend a week trying to get people to come to the Northeast. And it, it's so true because I just think it's the best place in the world. And I want to be out there as a mayor, singing our praises, talking up our strong points, attracting investment, attracting people to come and visit and be tourists and spend money in our economy, making sure at the same time that we're focusing on giving people the opportunities that they need to thrive and succeed. And other areas of the country have had those powers and that capability for for a, a long a long while now and have got really good Labour representatives doing that. And I don't want us in second place. I want us to have the same powers. I want us to have the ability to go out and, and sing the praises of our region and to bring all of that here. Because what this is ultimately about is handing our communities more control over their own destiny. We are, until you get into Scotland, which um, which is a different country, we, we're the furthest away from London, we're the furthest away from Westminster. And so having all of the policies set in that little bubble, it's never going to work for us. It needs to be brought closer to home. You mentioned you know, getting tourists into the northeast and, uh, and encouraging people to come to the region. I know that uh, one policy you've set out, which is already in action in another part of the north, is a so-called tourist tax, so a levy, an extra extra amount of money that is put onto hotel bills for people who come to the region from elsewhere. And I think the idea is that the money is spent on improving the cultural offer that your region has to in turn make it more attractive for other tourists to come. But I guess the, the concern people will always have is an extra tax is potentially off-putting to visitors, particularly with the cost of living crisis that we're going through, ask, putting more of a burden on people. I mean, I'm guessing from your point of view, the downsides of doing this are outweighed by the advantages. I think this is a totally normal thing. Most of us will have been to major European cities or other places around the world, and it, it's just there, and it's something that you don't even think about and you don't even notice because it's such a small amount of money to the visitor. But to us, it's massive. What it could raise is massive, and what we could spend it on is, I think, really game-changing in terms of making sure that it benefits the people that live here. It benefits the businesses that operate in our area. It grows. We use it to be able to bring major events and and to have festivals and uh, to improve our culture and creative offer to make it an even more attractive place to come to. But I think what's also really important to me about, about this is it's not just about that. It's not just about the bright, shiny things. It's also about investing that into our communities, into models that allow young people better access to culture and creative options and opportunities in education. Because I think that over the over the last years of austerity, far too much of that's fallen away. And that's got to be part of this plan to reduce child poverty in the region. And it's got to be part of the plan to upscale people that live here and and grow our economy as well. These are real potential economic assets that we need to be making the most of. So I actually think it's a pretty uncontroversial plan as far as what goes on nationally, and it's a bit of a no-brainer. It's something that I want us to be doing hand-in-hand with businesses, with hotels, with with people in the first instance. But I also think it's something that makes sense as, as a statutory power in the long run. 
my last question, at the risk of sounding like a, a job interview, let's let's fast forward to next summer. Uh, if you're elected as the first northeast mayor, what's the first thing you're going to do on the day you're elected? Because I guess that's a, you know, symbolically that's a sort of important thing, isn't it? Where's your attention going going first? Well, one of the things that I've said absolutely up front is that we will get to work very urgently on bringing buses in back into public control. And do you know what? It's not the sexiest thing in the manifesto, but it's probably one of the things that makes the most difference to the most people. The more people use buses than any other type of public transport put together. And we're the region that's faced the biggest cuts to our bus services. And so in order to deliver that as quickly as possible, we've got to get to work day one in starting that and uh, and and, you know I've got to be honest it it will be a process but it's it's got to be you know day one marker in the sand this is this is what we're going to do as well as looking at how we kick off this 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 plan to really tackle child poverty in the region. Kim McGuinness thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McLaughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other laudable podcasts, See you next week. Bye-bye.